good morning. Because um, I was so impressed with uh, during the plenary we just came from with the power of a joke, I have a joke for you. What did the three-legged dog say to the sheriff? He said, Sheriff, I'm looking for the man who shot my paw. Uh. Yeah! Oh, yeah, I got it! <laughs> All right, now that we've loosened you up, thank you for being here. I'm Rick Donlin. Uh, let me give you kind of a preview. We're going to divide this time into four sections, and uh, I think we might even be able to get finished a little bit early. I'm going to give some introductory Remarks about why we've started, are starting this new, what we're calling Fellowship Plus in Memphis and in Detroit. It really is an extension of work we've been doing for really 15 years or so in Memphis. Um, we're going to have two people who've been through the Memphis program who are going to coordinate, are coordinating the program that we have now started in Detroit. That'll be Chad and Kelsey Thompson will speak about their experiences and what they're doing. Thirdly, Lance Luttrell will take us through some spiritual exercises. So if you're afraid of uh, listening prayer or standing on your head in front of other people, you could slip out before that part of it. But, yeah, kidding about that part. Yeah. All right, um, let's get started. Actually, let's pray. Father, uh, as has been prayed many times before by many people about this conference, we're inviting you, we're inviting the Holy Spirit's presence here with us. We want you to be made much of. We want to see your kingdom breaking forth in the world. Uh, We want your people to be built up, and we want the poor to be loved and served. Be with us in this time, I pray. Holy Spirit, you'd move among all of us, and um, that you would be honored through this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Yeah, this is a passage from the Gospel of Luke that you know. Uh, This is the Luke inversion of the parable of the sower. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So I think that's the the goal that all leaders of churches and leaders of ministries and um, disciplers of students and organizers of conferences want to see. They want to see people who are fruit-producing, who are um, making God look great, the same sorts of things we prayed about. And that's our end goal. Um, we we got a problem. We've we've had a problem for some time. I hope, certainly willing for people to push back, but um, I'd say that we're probably actually at semi-crisis point in the American church right now, and it's been building for some time. I was talking with another physician who uh, was in training in the late 1960s. I think that's probably the most recent time where we had so much division in our country and in the world, and the church is sort of on its back foot, and there are lots and lots of churches, unfortunately, that are even splitting and separating along lines of political lines and difficulty. So the end goal of us having lots of disciples coming through our conferences and our training and our ministries and our churches who are fruit producing, it's not happening at least as prosperously as we hoped. Um, Here are some of the problems we're facing. The world missionary movement, uh, as impressive as the changes have been in the last two centuries, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the growth of the church, especially in the global south, 
There are still thousands of unreached people groups. There are parts of the world where the population is growing far faster than the church is growing. Um, Frankly, the remaining places in the world to bring the gospel are difficult, and in almost all cases there is direct opposition to Christianity because of Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or other political agendas. And so we have a time where we need more cross-cultural missionary workers to be taking the gospel to more difficult places, and we have less missionaries signing up. It's great that 2,000 people are showing up in Louisville, Kentucky on a weekend in November. I've never understood why it happens like it does. It's really great. But overall, interest in missions is, is down. Giving money towards missions is down. The conflicts that are happening within churches and denominations, a side effect of those is that the missionary effort is being hindered or being slowed. So that's, that's a problem. There is unfortunately an increase in attrition among missionaries, meaning people who leave the field sooner than their time. So lots of agencies have they have different approaches, but generally speaking, when you sign up with an agency, you're going to be doing terms of three or four years. And we had a generation, uh, honestly, older than me. I'm a, the youngest of the baby boomers born in 1964. But there was a generation of missionaries who were very likely to die on the mission field, to, to stay for decades and to be committed to it in the same way maybe people who used to be committed to a military career. But that's increasingly not the case. And there are, unfortunately, if you talk to missions leaders, more and more people returning after a single term or two terms, and there are fewer people staying on the field. So if you both have difficulty in recruiting people to the work and then the people that you do recruit to the work are decreasing, that's a double problem. We've had some astounding, heartbreaking, uh, bang-your-head-on-the-wall experiences with some of our most impressive Christian leaders. So, uh, and just showing my age, I'd say about every other guy I've known for the last 25 years secretly wished they were Ravi Zacharias, that they could be, you know, super smart and apologetic and, and... wheel and deal with really smart people. Um, some of these amazing high-profile profile pastors uh, have just washed out and have disappointed us and have been a real heartbreak. So, What does that have to do with the missionary movement? Again, it actually has a lot to do with it because it says that we are not growing our leaders appropriately, for one, and then given our adoration of leaders – and our commitment to them, when they fall, it's a real sock to the gut. And, it, it, again, it takes the carpet out from under the feet of people who are moving in directions of fruitfulness. So, um, Highly recommend, if you are given to listening to podcasts, to listening to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which is Christianity Today's telling of the story of Mark Driscoll and that church. And there's just the way they're reporting it is really helpful in thinking about how this sort of thing happens and how our, we're complicit. Okay? Yeah. I was getting nervous when guys are walking behind me. <laughs> I like Robbie, too. Yeah. yeah just... <laughs> okay. Good. All right. Our leaders are supposed to be our best. They're supposed to be the people who are led by the Holy Spirit that we rely on the most. We're always going to have leaders who fail, but we've had an inordinate inordinate number of people in really high-profile ways collapse. Okay. 
I'll tell you um, the approach that we've been taking over the last 20 or so years in Memphis. So I'm a combined internal medicine pediatrics doctor. I'm from Louisiana originally. I've been living in Memphis for 30 years. When I was a freshman medical student, I made a blood pact with three other classmates. We were the Christian Medical Dental Association. Louisiana and New Orleans in particular are very Catholic towns. So the Protestant Christian group at our medical school was like five of us. I had to swing three votes to get elected president, I think, the second year. It was a, it was a small group. It's, thankfully, it's a little bigger now. But um, the blood part of it was that if anybody abandoned this plan that we're going to do together to serve the poor and work, that we would, we would kill those people, that person. <laughs> That's how we roll down there. Um, really, by the grace of God and by trial and error, what we began in 1995 grew a great deal. And so Lance is a big part of it. There are other people in the room who are a big part of it. This wasn't a one or four people deal. It was a big deal. It was a movement. I'm so sorry. My flow. How's this? All right. Thank you. Yeah. Next time you and me are swinging. <laughs> and you'll win, of course. But. All right. So um, we began, uh, we opened health centers for the poor. All right. And then uh, seven or eight years into it, we began to move into the communities that we were working in. And that wasn't my leadership. It was another doctor couple. But in any case, many of us began to do that. Many, Some people in the room here were part of that movement. And we began to recruit students. So we were already operating health centers that were pretty busy, and we had inpatient hospital services. We eventually got to the place where we were taking care of enough kids and adults and delivering babies that we even began to train residents. So that the shtick was the same, like go to the big conferences like this one, travel with CMDA, go to campuses, get in front of as many people as we could. That's the top of this funnel that I have in this picture. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and invite people to, to consider keeping the promise that they made when they applied for a professional school, where they wrote that essay, Dear Dean, whoever, I love humanity. Um, I want to relieve suffering. I want to be part of, yeah, all that stuff that we all wrote. And many of those people, I hope, believed it. And so we've been for 20 years trying to say to a largest group of people as we can, remember that promise you made. Remember the deal you made with God to get through organic chemistry. <laughs> all right. Um, sometimes it was five people and sometimes it was 2,000 people, but... We would call to large groups, the top of the funnel, and so that's this is a CMDA in Memphis meeting. If you offer Chick-fil-A sandwiches early enough in the semester, you can get 200 people to come into a room, but 100 and however many of them are probably there mostly for the Chick-fil-A sandwich or for the three-legged dog joke, perhaps. Yeah. Um, coming to this conference has been a big part. We've been part of this. So... Grant Hewitt's here. He's my boss. I work, one of my jobs is I work for CMDA. I'm the area director in Memphis now, as well as being part of this fellowship program we're here to talk to you about. But we'd get on the road, and we would go campus to campus, and we would do the same thing, trying to, to call young disciples to faithfulness and to missional medicine. Grant got to drive, usually. So We got guest houses in Memphis. So this is a picture of a group of students and the guest house 
um, hosts, and th I think these all three were from Oklahoma State University, if I'm not mistaken, and we would have them live in the neighborhood with us in, in inner city Memphis for two weeks, four weeks, and they would share in the community, they would participate in our house churches, they'd work in the health centers, and, and it was, again, a part of a little bit further down the funnel trying to appeal to people to come and, and see these things and not just have sort of intellectual understanding about healthcare for the poor, but to get elbow to elbow with other Christian nurse practitioners and physicians and dentists and care for people in that setting and live in community doing it. Still, frankly, we have had relatively small amount of fruit from that. Now, I'll be honest with you, I think it's, it's actually a lot more fruit than a lot of other things, but um, it's not the 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown in Jesus' parable. That, I think that's, again, that's maybe we're too ambitious, but that's what we're, we would shoot for. I hope you would shoot for that in the ministry that you're involved in. So at the bottom of the funnel, what we would hope would drop out is actually what has dropped out. Robbie Contino, John David Williamson, or other others in this room, the, the Thompsons here, if, if you're here, and I should have acknowledged you, I apologize for that. There's a guy whose name is not Joel Jackson in the back. For <laughs> yeah. um, we did, we have seen success from this model. We have seen people come, live cross-culturally in Christian community, and sort of have their eyes opened. We've seen people who've been willing to do things that their parents weren't super confident in was the best, like living in places that seemed to be un, unsafe and, and make decisions. And frankly, some of the decisions are economic decisions for people in healthcare to choose to go down routes of, of professionalism that are less rewarding than other parts of medicine. Medicine is a huge temptation. Dentistry is a huge temptation. There's a there's a totem pole in medicine. I didn't know this when I walked into the lecture hall for the first time in New Orleans in 1986. I thought we were all going to be happy doctors together. Turns out there's a totem pole. And being a primary care doctor all my life, I'm not actually allowed to look at the top of the pole <laughs> to see who's there. But, yeah. And so to, to engage the poor, to think about primary care instead of specialty care, we don't mean that you can't be a Christian specialist I have heard that that has happened a couple of times. <laughs> There's even a report of a surgeon or two who claim to be Christian people. I don't, they, they still throw their mets across the OR and yell at the nurses and things like that. We're really not um, saying that primary care or care for the poor or international medicine is the only thing. But it's a thing. It's a thing, and we ought to be seeing those sorts of things happening with more frequency than we have. Okay, so why, this isn't a rhetorical neon question, like why is it that it's so rare, generally speaking, to see Christian students and residents and other Christian people completely, or not completely, but like turn their career and their lives and their hearts to being fruitful in ministry? Why doesn't it happen more often? Busyness. Who said that? Okay, tell us what you, I think I know what you mean by that. We just got a lecture from uh, the screen about this too, didn't we? What do you, what do you mean?
So others agree with that? Have some of you had that experience? There's some nods in the back. What other things do you think? Yeah. Because it means leaving and maybe leaving behind some of the things that give you your identity. I'm a very important doctor, you know. Yeah, that was a joke about really important doctor. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I sometimes there were times over the years, again, working in low-income primary care, where people, I think anyone who's done this has experience, where like a patient will look at you and go like, you don't seem like a stupid doctor. Why are you working here? You know, like, were you, did you flunk or something? Or like there's, you leave behind some of the prestige if you do that sort of thing. What else? Yes, sir. I think I know what that means, but entire integration into the pathway. Yes, I, I totally felt that. Like, I love the fact that there are Christian residencies, and I think there's only one discipline that has Christian residencies. I could be wrong about that. There are, there are other... Residencies that are known to have Christian faculty that aren't explicitly Christian. But in my residency, there were some Christians there, but the whole tsunami wave coming at me of, of socialization of medicine and what it meant to be a doctor and all that was just, it was so powerful. And uh, again, if I hadn't made this blood pact, if I wasn't facing possible death, if I um, <laughs> abandoned the path, I'm not sure I, I could have made it through. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm here because I want to learn more about this, but I've struggled because I don't feel like I have a close blood path fellowship group to support me and what I'm, my goal is. And then also the busyness. You know, we want to do ministry, but that won't be fruitful unless we are rooted in God's direction and calling from the Holy Spirit first. So we have a fourth speaker, fifth speaker for the talk who's going to come up here. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, from my experience, the American medical culture is very segmented. Um, it's like um, there's medical education, training, work, and there's your religious or spiritual side. The clinic shall not meet. Um, so the American medical culture keeps that compartmentalized. Yeah. Harder to integrate faith. Like I'm so impressed when I see a woman stand up and say she's been at the CDC for 30 years and she's obviously a faithful, fruit-bearing Christian. It's like I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, that's good. What other What other barriers are there? Yes, sir. There's a hardness of heart, a difficulty hearing or seeing. It is for me, 
All right, so you would benefit, you do benefit from an increased connection to and intimacy with Jesus Absolutely. in the ability. Yes. Ears are here and our hearts are hard. Yep. Were there other hands? Mine's kind of shameful, I would say, um, as a mother of a doctor, <laughs> and um, I will say that it drove me to my knees to support. At that time, when he was in medical school and such, I was like, you know, go after your dreams and everything. And when it was going to be, go to another country, go. And then there was this fear in me. Oh, yeah. you know, change your dreams, son. Go, Shamefully, I admit, and I have been very humbled by that, to be supportive of what God wants. Yeah. Now, I might be wrong about this, but like I've seen many times when we're taking young healthcare workers to Afghanistan or places like that, that parents will stand up and be really angry. But in many, many cases, and I hope you're one of them, after their kids have been faithful and they they're doing these amazing things, that their parents then go from opposing to really being a strong supporter and proud. And I try to tell younger people, this is a rabbit trail maybe, but like you can actually change your family and older generation by your faithfulness and goodness. But yes, parents and family. Like Frankly, I think certain cultures, that's especially a powerful thing. Like your parents have big expectations. They put you through all this training to be a dentist or a pharmacist or whatever. And yeah, big deal. Yes, sir. Debt. Debt. Yes, sure. There's that. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds of thousands of that. Yeah. Right. Along with just the financial viability, I think a lot of us probably struggle with. Well, if I really go full time, like ministry is all out, I'm not going to be able to make ends meet or the clinic's going to fall apart financially. That's a legitimate fear. Right. Uh, yes, please. of productivity and financial uh, viability or profitability or Thank you. 
conversation with this and that. It's difficult. Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. Community, I think, as we said earlier, having people that encourage us and be with us and brainstorm with and just be there for us when it gets hard, because it does. But there's so much joy in living community and doing mission together in our workplace. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, Jesus' answer when he explains this parable uh, is it's a little different than different synoptic gospels, but it is the worries of this life, the desire for other things, and the deceitfulness of wealth. So much of what you just described falls into those three categories. There may be some things are outside of it. And the, the treatments that you're proposing, I think, are also part of what we're talking about doing here. All right. Um, I want to quickly get through this. We we did bring in at sometimes as many as 100 students a year in our at the height of us having guest houses. And I would try. I wasn't always successful, but I would try to have students over for breakfast at my house or go eat breakfast at one of the guest houses myself with them. I was one of the leaders. And um, I asked, I got in the habit where I would ask these students, who I consider to be sort of a, a notch above. These are students who want to come to a, low-income setting and work among Christian physicians and, and other healthcare workers. And I would ask them about their spiritual disciplines. And I would ask them questions like, have, who here is, like, no shame, it's a safe place, who here has read through the whole Bible? And it was usually a minority of people. Uh, who, who has got, what, what, how do you approach prayer? And the level of consistency in those really what I would consider basic Christian disciples was, even in this group of quasi-elite people, was really low. Does that surprise anyone here? It doesn't, yeah. Okay, I went to, um, there's a guy named Terry Laster who's a dentist and a CMDA member, a great guy in Waco, Texas, was overseas with the International Mission Board for years, and he runs a course uh, for students at Baylor who are pre-meds in the humanities section, and it's again, it's a really sharp group of people, and I get to go talk to them every semester. And I just did it two or three weeks ago. And I again, I asked them, 18 people in the room, oddly 16 women, two men. That's another conversation to have a different time. But how many of you have read the book of Habakkuk? I'm not asking you, <laughs> but there's only four of y'all who've read it. <laughs> There's a joke, I'm not going to tell it right. You're on a desert island and you can choose, either you're going to take War and Peace or Habakkuk. Which do you, you choose? And it's, it's Habakkuk because I've already read War and Peace. <laughs> yeah, it's a kind of medium joke there. Kind of. <laughs> All right, same thing if these sharp kids who are going to, they're on this fast path, this fast path to be like healthcare professionals, they don't, they don't read the Bible or they don't read it consistently. I meet with students and have for many, many years. Uh, Again, I don't do it alone. I have other doctors. A couple of them are in the room here who have been part of that with me in Memphis. But it's the same thing. It's twisting their arms to to get them even to, like, last semester we just finished the book of Revelation. I was a little hesitant to do the book of Revelation with them because I I don't understand it either. But, like, I joke with them, like, Sometimes I think you guys are more interested in learning about the Antichrist than the Christ, you know, the, um, just because it was interesting to read, sort of. Then they got in the middle of the book, and it wasn't quite so interesting, but some of it. But just, there's not a 
sometimes I would have trouble getting them even to read a chapter before we would meet. Like, we're going to talk about Genesis 3 next week. It's the fall of humanity. It's like one of the hugest turning points in the cosmos. Could you read about it? It's like 26 verses. <laughs> and, and it's hard. And again, like, these are kids who, who will sit for hours with, with their computer and study. Like, they can memorize a phone book, you know, in a couple of days. So it's hard. To, and they're great kids. Some of them are with us. All right. So these are the things we talked about. I think I got it right. Life's worries, riches, pleasures. They don't mature. So what do we do about it? And that's what Fellowship Plus is an answer to. It's not the only answer, but it is, honestly, it's um, taking what we've learned in Memphis for the last 20 years and then trying to apply some other ancient truth that we know exists in the 20 centuries of the Christian church. We're not interested in producing Protestant monks, but people who live as monks, who live in the monastic movement, do have some of the benefits that you've listed. Like people, you, you might think like a monk doesn't talk to other people or they're not in community, but that's not the case. Like the very first fathers who went off to the desert and lived on pillars and things like that, we're not calling anybody that. We're calling people to community, to being disciples together. And again, I think so many places, if I'm thinking in terms of medical students, for instance, or residents, like there's just one or two of them in a, in a big group of 100 or 150 in a class. And it's just, there's an isolation and a lack of Christian community that's present. So we're interested in thinking about that. This is a book by Mark Knoll, who I hope some of you know who Mark Knoll is. Super smart historian. He was at Wheaton for 26 years. Subsequently went to Notre Dame. I think he's at Regent College now. There's this book called Turning Points, and it's, it's big points in the history of the Christian church that he thinks are crucial in understanding the future of Christianity, the past and present and future of Christianity. So he said these things about the monastic movement. I think you all know what I mean by that. Monastic movement is where people commit themselves to community and they take vows of obedience together and other vows, at least for a time, to commit themselves to Christian community together and to seek to serve and love God. And almost in all cases... Monasteries and nunneries became also really important places to transform the communities around them. So they weren't just inwardly focused. They had a real impact on the communities around them. So this is what Noel said. The rise of monasticism after Christ's commission is the most important and in many ways most beneficial institutional event in Christian history. So the coming together of people in Christian community Honestly, in reaction to what happened when the Roman Empire embraced Christianity and it went from being a hardship and a, and a challenge to be a Christian in the first three or four centuries of the church to then like, hey, I might be able to get a better job if I'm a Christian. From persecution to people being able to actually profit from being a Christian, this is the milieu from which the monastic movement sprang. is a reaction to, the, frankly, the worldliness and the the loss of vision and mission of the Christian church. He also said, for over a thousand years, nearly everything in the church that approached noble, pure, and true ideals came from monasticism. So if you're not Catholic, if, you, if you're not like me, who I came from a Catholic background, I lived for years in a Catholic culture, I'm, I like Catholicism. Like I'm not a Catholic anymore, but I have a deep respect for it. Some of you, it, that's a little harder sell. Same as you? Yeah, 
So just go to New Orleans for a while and just, um, in New Orleans, even the Southern Baptists are secretly Catholic. Like, <laughs> they go to Mardi Gras parades and all that kind of stuff. All right. So what we're proposing as I'm wrapping up my introductory quarter to this talk is um, what we already have been doing in Memphis, calling people to live among the poor, helping them have cross-cultural experiences, engaging in their profession with needy people. There's some other things that we do that I think are really important but aren't necessarily part of Fellowship Plus, including meeting in house churches. But then to, to call people to do that and then employ these monastic, these three monastic, um, what's the word? Pillars. Pillars. The word is pillars. Yeah. Things that they practiced and taught that are part of the Benedictine order and the other things that they wrote about it. And they are these three, prayer, study, and work. And they're loosely um, defined, but we need to teach people who are not praying, which is far too many evangelical Christian young disciples, how to pray and how important it is to pray and how to hear from God in prayer and how to speak to God in prayer. Study is broad. Some people who are going on the mission field, their agencies require them to have certain training. So maybe that's part of it. In context like you're going to hear about where the Thompsons live, uh, a Muslim context, understanding Islam in a deeper way is, is important. So study it can vary, and it honestly can vary based on what the person's need is and the trajectory of their ministry, because part of this is being mentored by people and, and us figuring out what, what people need individually. Work is work, but we're hoping to have people employed again, working among the poor, and then doing that as much as we can in community. It's harder now for us in Memphis than it used to be. We used to be part of a multi-million dollar multi-clinic system where we had the capacity to hire people and to use that train track to do a lot of this. But we're convinced that in Memphis and in many other cities we hope this could eventually grow to, that there are already Christian ministries and there are needs and there are places where people can be employed and can make money while they're living together in community and growing in their faith for 20 months. All right. So I think I'm going to stop there, if that's all right. If there are questions, we can take it, take them, or otherwise we're going to move to part two. Would it, does it make anybody here nervous that if you fall into our web, we're going to treat you like you're a, a monk? <laughs> it does. <laughs> Let me bring bring up uh, Chad and Kelsey Thompson and give them the microphone. And I think I need to put the second microphone on. You gotta bring your chairs. Okay. Thank y'all. It's for the, it's for the recording. So yes, Lance made me wear it. Hi. <laughs> um, so, as Rick said, I'm Kelsey Thompson. This is my husband, Chad. And uh, we just were going to share some of our story. Um, we spent time in Memphis. We trained under Rick and Lance and um, spent about four years there. And now we're living in Detroit, Michigan, um, and co-leading that uh, fellowship group up there. So, um We'll just start at the beginning, not the very beginning, but um, we 
I did dental school in San Antonio, and Chad did medical, medical school in Houston. Uh, we were dating through school, and um, we're preparing to get married between our third and fourth year of school. That's a really um, crucial time for medical students as you're uh, planning you know, what you're going to do with your life. So uh, we were spending some time dreaming about that and just thinking what, what our lives look like, what are we going to do. Um, God had been working in us individually um, to that point and had given us both a heart for missions, and we had both been on uh, several short-term trips um, doing different things. I was really involved in my CMDA chapter at San Antonio and had done some trips with them. Um, and we kind of had this view of missions as something we did on the side. Um, it was, as someone mentioned, just a very siloed view of <clears throat> what that looks like. So we have our work, and we have our home, and we have our ministry. And those are all three very different things. Um, so we were planning to, uh, Chad was planning to go into urology, and we were going to probably move to Nashville. Um, that was our hope. And um, have this great life, and we were going to do some missions on the side. Then, uh, about three weeks before we got married, <coughs> I got a phone call <laughs> from Chad. Um, and it's a really long story. If you want to hear it, I'll let him tell it. But um, not right now. Um, but we, uh, he had kind of reconnected with um, someone from college, had done a random Google search, and found a residency program that this person was attending and was one of the first residents of in Memphis, Tennessee. And something about it was just something he couldn't stop thinking about. And he called me uh, and was like, I have to go. <laughs> I have to go see what this is about. I, it's hard to believe that this is real. I need to see if it's real. And I was like, okay. Um, so we had our whole, we were long distance. We had our whole fourth year planned out. He had all of his rotations planned out. We were going to be spending some time apart, but we had it very, we had one week or one day that we could get married in a span of a year and a half. So we had everything planned out. Um, <laughs> so like, okay. Uh, and so we got married. Um, we were together for a month and, and then we made the drive to Memphis and I dropped him off at a guest house that, um, you saw in the picture up there. Uh, it was in inner city Memphis, and um, we spent a weekend. We went to house church at Rick's house. Uh, Chuck Cheatham was speaking that Sunday, if any of you know Chuck. Um, that was an experience, and um, I left. And so, and then I came back a couple weeks later, and um, Chad had, was, I just saw in his eyes there was a change, a transformation, and we had kind of talked a little bit. But um, he, yeah, we were just kind of blown away <laughs> by the community that was there. And we saw doctors and dentists and um, teachers and all kinds of people that had given up this comfortable life that they um, could have had and had moved into these rougher parts of Memphis and were working with the poor and loving on the poor and living with people who were experiencing things that we had never seen before. Um, and, yeah, I, I came for a weekend, and I left. I was like, we're going to end up here. Like, <laughs> um, I could just, I just knew it. Um, but that really, that was a very transformational time, just spending, Chad spending time there and me coming to visit. 
Um, I was honestly a little fearful. Um, I think of many things, but just the thought of moving into a place like that, I, yeah, there's a lot of fears, a lot of things that come to the surface that you didn't know were there. And, um, but we decided, or he decided to go ahead and uh, scrap urology, and we're going to do family medicine. <laughs> so, um, applied two weeks later to family medicine, and we had some time interviewing, um, and we spent another weekend back in Memphis, and it was kind of our, is this what we're really going to do? Um, so I was dealing with some of that fear, and uh, not only fear, like a safety, fear of safety, but also um, a fear of, am I qualified? Am I holy enough? <laughs> am I spiritual enough? Um, and I definitely wasn't, um, or didn't feel that I was. had a lot of imposter syndrome uh, with that. But we we had a night, and Nathan Cook, which many of you have probably heard speak before, but he's an elder, another one of the people there, um, gave a talk uh, one night. It was our last night there, and we he basically talked about fear, and if that's the reason why you're not going to come, that's that's not it. Like, that's not from the Lord. Um, we don't make our decisions out of fear, whether it's of um, safety or... Um, fear of yeah, our own identity or just uh, not being enough. And I think after that, that was a really um, big moment for us and for me especially um, to say, yes, this is um, what we're going to do. So that was our very first big faith step that we made um, together as a couple. And we moved uh, to Memphis and we moved into Orange Mound and um Chad is going to talk about more of that. I'm going to give you this little. Can you reach? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so a lot happened in a year where we just kind of changed our whole trajectory as we began to really pray. and seek the Lord, and it was kind of our first season to really do that together, as Kelsey mentioned. So we found ourselves less than a year later living in um, Memphis, uh, farther away from family than maybe we anticipated once we made that kind of shift in our minds. And um, So then after that excitement of making the face up, then it's, it's the real deal, you're there, and there's no turning back. And so um, we, we uh, began to realize... We just came face to face with a lot of things we we had never really had to, to deal with, and so um, it was just a really um, important and challenging time. If you've been through residency or even just school, like it's already a hard season, and so you're trying to learn how to be a doctor and learn how to be a dentist for Kelsey going through her residency as well. And but on top of that, um, we're we're living in neighborhoods where we're face to face with. Um, issues we never really grappled with, maybe a little bit intellectually, but not in the, I think you said, what, elbows to elbows, like issues around poverty and health, health um, disparities and um, issues, racial disparities and um, just our lack of any awareness about cross-cultural issues, and especially in the U.S. And so um, it, was, it was a lot of learning and um, growing for us, which we were really thankful for. Um, but we were able to do that in community with others who 
um, walked ahead of us on that road and were able to encourage us when we were not sure we had made the right decision or um, had those fears creep back in or when our parents would make comments about, are you sure this is the right decision? And you can always come back to Texas. And, <clears throat> um, and so I think just reflecting on some of the things you all shared about what are the barriers to some of these faith steps of um, – we wrestled with all of those, and um, there were several things we learned in our time in Memphis that, that really helped us um, to work through some of those things prayerfully in community, and so we're really grateful for that. Um, one of the other things that was helpful in our time and also very challenging was um, we, we did participate in um, house church, and so that was another time that really helped us to think through what is church, what does it mean to gather and be and live as the church and community. Um, we learned a lot about spiritual giftings. And when you're in a house church and there's only 10 or 15 of you and if you don't show up, you're not using your gifts, everyone feels it and you know it. And when someone's not giving and we're not giving to the ministries God's called us to give to, we feel that. And so it's just this um, new experience um, that really challenges us to think through some of those things. And, um, and then really challenges to think about resources and giving. What are we doing with our money? Um, even in residency, when you're not making a whole lot and you are just feel the weight of the debt, we talked about that too. Um, can I really give my money right now? I, I feel like I owe all this and I've got to pay it back somehow. If I do that, is that irresponsible? So just challenge us to wrestle with those things, but with people who, had, who are also seeking, seeking the Lord in those things. Um, so those are some of our big transformative um, uh, moments while we were in Memphis. And, and one of the other things we, um, as we walked with others and mentors walked with us, there were several um, healthcare um, professionals that were in the process or had just gone or were preparing to go um, for long-term international work. And um, many or most in, in completely unreached areas, difficult places to live, places where really you can only go using healthcare as an access point. And so... Um, just seeing some of that model for us and thinking through what would that look like. And one of the distinctives, we, we had the opportunity to go through our program to spend a month in, in a majority Muslim context and um, a place where there is no church and little um, active witness to the gospel. And so during our time there, this is, this is in the middle of our season of training and began to feel this stirring for what would that look like um, if God was calling us to that in the long, long term. And um, we knew our season of training would come to an end. And so as we began to think through what's, what are the next steps, um, we started to pray about how can we continue to take the things that we're learning and in, in incarnational and cross-cultural listening and learning, um, how we're learning to use our skills to, to care um, directly for the poor. Um, and um, all of these things, learning how do, we, how do we get to that next step and um, so we knew we would have a season of paying off debt and, and some of these, but we didn't want to lose that um, that sense of purpose and, and community and inviting others into that along the way. And so as we began to pray, um, actually, I think I'll let you share that next part. Okay. 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 There are a lot of things that we... I'm just going to... Yeah, you're good. Just, okay. There are a lot of things that... Um, like looking back, we're like, oh, we did not do that very well. Um, and I think that was one thing, um, kind of an event that happened was um, 
jazz residency program closed before graduation, and that actually gave us a chance to really slow down. Um, and I think, like many of you that are here, probably if you're um, in healthcare and missions-minded, just probably like really driven, um, a lot of passion, a lot of zeal, and um, just sometimes. Uh, let those spiritual disciplines go by the wayside and have some more unhealthy um, yeah, disciplines and uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Um, so that really gave us a chance to kind of pause and reflect on those things and, and how we could improve um, on those things in our next step. Um, and But while we were still in Memphis, uh, one thing that we did do, so I was a part of the CMDA Dental Residency. It's a three-year program down there uh, with Lance and some others. Um, and we were praying as a group uh, about having a new uh, dental residency start in Detroit, and we were going to send some of our team to Detroit. <clears throat> that was our first, I think, experience, uh, real experience, praying communally for a, a decision and hearing from the Lord in a group. And uh, we did. We prayed together. We heard, yes, we're supposed to send a team. And um, no one was, no one wanted to go. So, <laughs> um, like, okay, well, we heard, yes, so who's going to go? We had a couple people, I think, that were planning to go. And it was not in our uh, our plan. I, like, told God, I, I just, I'm never going to move further north in Memphis um, so don't ever tell the Lord things like that. Um, I don't do well with the cold, but here we are. So we we really felt convicted through that communal praying that we needed to, as a family, also pray. If we're going to pray as a group, we need to ask the Lord, is this for us um, to do? And he said yes. So um, to our surprise. <laughs> but it was um, just... Yeah, I just heard very clearly, and I think a really cool experience to do that as a community. And then we did have a team to go up to Detroit with. And um, so we moved up to, um, it's a neighborhood in Detroit, and it's surrounded by Detroit proper. Uh, it's a majority Muslim neighborhood. And we um, we moved in there, and we're hoping um, you know, to go overseas eventually, but hoping to have... Uh, some experience in a majority Muslim context and learning about um, Islam and just learning about uh, just the Muslim culture from our neighbors. Um, And our neighborhood is, uh, like I said, majority Muslim has a lot of uh, folks from uh, Yemen and um, Bangladesh is the majority. And our city council is almost 100% Muslim. We just elected our first Arab American mayor last week. Um, So it's a very... There are 17 mosques in two square miles. Um, that gives you an idea. So it's one of the closest places, in my opinion, that you can get to being overseas in the States here. Um, you drive around and you feel like you're in another country. So um, it's been a really good place for us to learn. Um, and that's where we're having um, or starting this fellowship program that Rick talked about. Um, and we kind of were, well, I'll let you. I'm going to let you talk about the fellowship. Is that okay? Okay. Oh, sorry. This is awkward. With this. Um, so, so part of our thought process is like if, if we're going to be be going, we mentioned there's 
there's this gap. We finished our training. We've, we've learned a lot. God's transformed us in many ways through, this, through community. And um, Then what do we do in the meantime before we... Before we're ready, we've still got debt to pay. We're trying to get a little bit of experience past training before we just move and do healthcare somewhere else. And so we really wanted to reflect on what are the what are the things that we want to continue to grow in, and the, the things that we learned, want to take from Memphis, things that maybe we want to do differently or add to. And some of the things we talked about are as we reflected, as we had a forced chance to pause, is um, is, is thinking about how do we grow deeper in, in some of these spiritual disciplines and, and do that communally with others. And so that's been some of our desire and some of our desire to enter into community well, um, learning from some of our own just like personal mistakes as we look back, things we would have done differently, um, ways that we can just have a new posture of humility and, and incarnational listening and um, how we can really love our neighbors well um, as Jesus does. And so... Those are some of our um, desires and, and really a desire to continue to call others into that to that work and that journey together because as maybe I'll mention like that was one I think it, at least two people mentioned that like who's gonna, who, who am I going to do that with how do I, how do we do this together and, and having a, a team to do that with um, I think is really important and wrestling through some of those issues if you're going to go long term somewhere else where there is no church. Um, how do you work as a team and seeking the Lord together communally and, and growing in those practices? So that's where we're at now. We, we've, um, we have a, a team across two majority Muslim neighborhoods in Memphis. Um, we gather weekly in Detroit. We're not in Memphis anymore <laughs> for a couple of years now. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah so uh, two, two neighborhoods in Detroit. Um, where we're living, serving, loving our neighbors while growing, um, working in, in healthcare, majority, but not, not completely. There are those not working in healthcare, but serving the poor through our work um, and um, growing in these spiritual disciplines of, of prayer and learning to hear from hear from God. And so that's where we're at. Hmm? Can I add one thing? Yeah. Oh, I think just one thing that is unique for healthcare providers is when you do go overseas or go to the field, um, if you're going into a unreached place, or you're, you're using your degree, um, and you're you're working usually um, aside from you know sharing the gospel, and I think it's really helpful to kind of do that here now. Like, how do I work and also have a missional presence where I am, um, and a missional presence at work as well? Um, but I think that is a really unique. Thing for healthcare providers, and not um, all people, all like missionaries or others, experience when they go overseas. So, yeah, that's one other thing that we wanted to um, incorporate. Yeah, so that's, that's just a little bit of our um, journey to where we are now, and um, yeah, hope, hopefully that connects with some of the concerns or questions you had. This is just wanted to hear just some of how we walked through some of those decisions. Acknowledging all those real concerns and fears and barriers, and um, we're just grateful for um, others, the the hospitality and generosity of inviting us into walking together through through some of these things. And um, yeah, so that's that's a little bit of our story and why we're here now, and um, what we're hoping to to help lead others into through this um, program. Yeah. Great. Questions for the Thompsons? Nothing off limits. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs>
last night. So, man, you got more lashed off the paw than I got for that. I'm a little, a little boned by that. But um, Okay, so I, I need a little help. I was a middle school teacher for a little while, um, and I taught differential equations at one point. So we've got a little bit of a, a spread for that. But nonetheless, we've got some education that's coming at you here. And for those of you at home, I see you. Thank you for tuning in to us. Uh, and what we're going to do right now is we're going to move into a time of actually taking a step into what we're talking about. So we're, we're not going to sit up here and say we've got a problem with us not abiding in Christ or praying or reading. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to do it because there is an open invitation right now for the one who formed the heavens and the earth to come and to speak to you today. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. So I need a little help. I need some help passing some of these out. If y'all can go pass some of these out this way. Yeah, there you go. We've got some of these way. Uh, if you have a Bible and a pen, a journal, uh, we've got more people in the room than I have printouts, so please use those sparingly. 
Uh, you don't have to have the paper that I'm handing out. And for those of you at home, uh, if you do, uh, you don't have to be at home, I suppose. Those of you virtually with us online, uh, if you would get a Bible and a journal, that'll be really, really helpful for this next little piece that we're going to get into. Uh, so, to be sure that I have my acknowledgments, uh, Dr. Scott Betacek and his wife are here with us today, so a lot of what I'm going to share today I learned from Scott and others, um, and uh, what we're going to be doing is spending some time in these uh, very ancient traditions of, of spiritual disciplines of, of listening to God through prayer and listening to God through scripture. So, as we're passing those out... Uh, as I have on the little handout here, the, the main thing that I hope sinks in as we're doing this together is that God's greatest promise is that he's with us. God's greatest promise is that he would be with us even to the ends of the age. This is what he promised to Moses, this is what Moses wouldn't move on without. This is what Jesus said when he was ascending into heaven. He's, I'm going to be with you. And much of what we talked about, the barriers or the reasons that we feel like it's hard to move on mission with God and do these difficult things is not necessarily because uh, that, that we, don't, we don't have the time for it. There's not a time for, you know, to make time for prayer or to make time for the scripture. It's, it's a failure to realize that Jesus is standing at the door knocking waiting for us to respond to him. And that in each and every moment of our lives, from the ORs to the classrooms, from the administrative offices where I'm having to tell people to be more productive and fighting that battle and trying to figure out how to keep the organization running, to the moments that we're with our kids and our neighborhoods and trying to figure out how we disciple our kids as we're going on mission, in every one of those moments, there is an open invitation to you to turn to the Lord and find that he is with you. And that's what we want to take a little bit of a step into today. These contemplative practices that we're going to talk about give us an opportunity to turn our souls toward the Lord and become aware of his presence. And the two primary functions of these exercises that we're going to do today and all that we do are really to ask two basic questions, which is, what is God saying to us and how are we going to respond to him? And what can happen in every one of those moments is that there's a sanctity that can come to that moment. There's a holiness that can come to that moment when we respond to the Lord. Even with it's just something as simple as like, you know, how am I playing this board game with my kid? Why are they crying when they lost this game that I played? You know, or uh, a moment where, um, you know, I'm sitting with a boardroom and we're trying to make strategic decisions about where we're going in the organization and stopping and asking, what is the Lord saying here in this moment? And it can be these, every one of these moments we can go into, we can have this opportunity to hear what God might be saying and realize how we're going to respond to him and seeing that that's an expression of our faith in him and that he really is with us. So the two things we're going to do um, uh, is we're going to do a, a time of breathing prayer. We're going to do this time of breath prayers. And then we're going to do a little bit of time in an exercise called Lectio Divina, uh, which will be reading through a scripture in a very purposeful and uh, patient way to hear what the Lord might be saying to us in this time. So uh, for to kind of set the space for this a little bit, 
What we're going to do in terms of the breathing prayer uh, is that I have a passage here. And so if, for those of you online, we're going to be looking at Psalm 42, just the first verse there, Psalm 42, verse 1. And what we're going to do is we're just going to spend, and I'm going to set a time, we're going to look, take about three minutes uh, here together when, I, when, when we kind of move into this. And what you're going to do is we're just going to, we're going to take a time to, uh, you're just going to be breathing and you're going to take, you're going to be realizing and taking notice of your breath as you're doing this. But as you take a breath in, you're just going to kind of silently in your mind and your spirit and your heart say the first part of Psalm 42.1, which is, as the deer pants for streams of water. And then as you exhale, you will say, so my soul pants for you, my God. And what we're going to do is we're going to just spend about three minutes doing that. And what you'll probably find happen as we move into this is that you'll begin to kind of say those words and you'll, you'll say them and you'll exhale and you'll say the other part of the verse. And at, at some point, you'll start to realize that the Lord is with you and that the Lord is near. And the words may still be very important to that, but they may fade into the background as you become aware uh, of the Lord's presence. The, the goal for this time, again, is to be still in our hearts, still in our souls, to be able to hear what the Lord might be saying to us and what we might actually hear him speak to us in this time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set our time here. I'm going to give us about three minutes. And we're just going to start taking deep breaths in. And take deep breaths out. And as we take deep breaths in, we just say, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God.
want you to kind of come back for a second and uh, with your pen and paper, if you have the sheet in front of you, I want to take maybe, we'll give you another two minutes, but I just want you to jot down any image, any thought, word, um, any sense of what you had just while you were listening and praying. So let's just take a minute or two just for you to just write that down, just take an idea, uh, take a moment just to write down kind of what you were thinking or hearing while you were praying. All right, so what I want to do now uh, to give you a chance to kind of think through, respond, we're just going to you're going to turn to a couple people near you, the person right next to you, or whatever's kind of comfortable, two to three, and I, I literally just want you to kind of share what you what you wrote down there. Like, what is it that you were hearing? What is it that you thought during our little that little short exercise of listening, or breathing prayer? I'll give you all about five, six minutes. I'll kind of you know when it sort of dies down from there, I'll bring it back together for the next piece. Take about 15 minutes for the. I'll probably land at 25 of or something like that, and then give a few minutes, and they'll still be out early. Do you think that's okay?
I'm going to bring us back together here for just a second. So I trust that as you're sharing those, I think there's this, I mean, mean, we took three minutes in stillness and uh, tried to use what God gave us in terms of our breath to uh, reflect upon a scripture passage. And what I think is so profound is that we many times talk and aim toward eternity and we have this taste of it in the span of three minutes. We even say that in our language. It felt like an eternity. It felt like an eternity. It felt so long. Praise God. <laughs> That's what he's inviting us into, was eternal life. And he is inviting us into that in our very experience in a moment in time. Uh, I alluded to the fact that I'm a math teacher, so just I, I know these things don't relate. But it's the only way that I know how to speak to the world. So we're just going to go there, all right? So uh, in math, there's these things called asymptotes, which there was a, this is, this is my trig teacher's joke, okay? Asymptotes are these points on the graph that go like this, and then they go up infinitely, and they never touch this line, okay? But then there's other functions that have just holes in them, okay? So it just goes, here's the line, there's no point there, and he said, you always got to tell the difference between an asymptote and the hole in your graph, you know? Wow. Okay. I went for it, and it landed perfectly. All right. So anyways, imagine this asymptote, right? And so what happens on this graph is, like, even as you approach this point in time, this point in the graph, it just it creeps up to eternity, and it never actually meets that moment. And so what it seems like to me, these little spiritual disciplines that we invite people into are like these asymptotes on the like timeline of our lives where where time doesn't progress at the same interval it seems to progress at all the time but there's these moments where there's this depth of God's presence that sort of weighs in like it's like bending time space continuum itself and I can feel that he is with me and there's this 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 profoundness to his presence in my life that make the very ordinary next decision have this eternal weight behind them and this expectation that I believe that God is going to do something even in this moment, right? And so I trust that as you all were just sharing that, that there were some reflections like that. There were some reflections of sensing that God had somehow broken through and found us on the second floor and had navigated to this moment where we were able to sense that he was with us and that he was near to us. Uh, so that, that's just a little bit of taste of, of walking into the place of prayer and to sort of connect the dots with what we're saying through the Fellowship Plus is that I think we're bank, our, our primary presupposition is that people will be drawn to God if they can see him and if they hear from him. That people will be committed to responding to him as they actually hear his voice. That the time in prayer in scripture is not a time to just sit with a book or saying things to an empty room, but they're moments to hear from God and hear him speak to us. And that as we meet the one for whom our souls were made, that there's a deeper draw and a sustaining power that comes from that. That if we're wanting to keep people in mission for the whole terms of their life, we want them to understand that God is with them for the whole terms of their life. That it's not dependent on somebody else or some other person inviting them or mediating between them the very presence of God, but it's something that they can experience and walk in. That's not to mean, obviously we're saying that in the context of community. Don't hear me saying anything other than that, but what I'm saying is that our primary 
pitch here, our primary understanding of what we're trying to do with Fellowship Plus is to reconnect people with that staying power of actually knowing the one that we're aiming and hoping that other people come into fellowship with, right? That we would be ones who taste and see the goodness of God and that our testimony of how good he is and what salvation means to belong to the family of Christ is something that we know ourselves and is something that we carry an eternal treasure on the inside with us. So the next practice that I want us to look at is uh, taking a time in Scripture. And so Lectio Divina is, a, is a, just like breathing prayer. It's an ancient practice of taking a short passage um, and really going through it slowly. So uh, there are times and reasons for us to see the whole picture of God's, uh, of God's story through God's Scripture. And there's moments for us to sit and dwell on these small passages, again, with the the explicit purpose of finding the significance of this passage in our life. Uh, Sometimes, I think for many of us, we get hung up, and I'm going to make a distinction here, on the meaning of a passage. So we get, and it's right, and there's times and places to study in that way. The meaning, what does this mean? What's it saying? What's the context? That's proper. That's good. That's, That's good biblical study. But then there are moments for us to switch from meaning and find the significance why is this important to me? What is it that God is saying to us through this scripture? Not just what does the passage mean sort of outside from who I am. And so what we're going to do is we're taking this practice of Lectio Divina is we're going to be reading through this passage again with those two primary questions. What is God saying through this passage? How is he speaking to me through this passage? And then getting to the second question is, and how am I going to respond to that? It may be a very small step. It may be dwelling on it more. It may be uh, responding in very profound ways. But those are going to be the cores of what we're doing. So, uh, so for those uh, online here, we're going to be coming to uh, a passage from Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, a passage from the Sermon on the Mount. And we are going to, uh, this, this particular form of Lectio Divina is going to be, we're going to go through the passage three times. Um, and we're going to do a combination of reading those out loud here and uh, also reading them silently. The, the hope uh, for doing that passage is going, again, to be reading slowly, dwelling on the words they are. But the first time we go through it, you're just going to be listening for words, phrases that stick out to you. You know, just what is it that as you're hearing this passage is grabbing your attention? Or what is it that you, you know, where you may be feeling God speaking through that passage? Then we're going to go through it a second time, and you're actually going to kind of imagine that you're there. You're going to try to imagine and uh, sort of activate your internal imagination and just really picture what Jesus is saying and how he's saying it. Imagine you're there. What do you see? What do you experience? What do you think God is saying through that second pass? And then the third pass, we're going to read it a third time, and we're going to be listening for what do we feel like, what's that significance? What do we feel like God might be calling you to do or not to do? And beginning to think about how we might respond to that. So to do that, I'm going to ask for three volunteers. Uh, to, we're going to just read them out uh, here. Uh, so I need, I need some volunteers who are going to read this, the passage for us. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, so uh, Grant, as you read through this, I want you to... You know, read it loud enough for us to see it. A lot of people have it visually there for us. But read it nice and slow so that we can kind of really reflect on what words or phrases might be standing out to us.
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Take a moment to just jot down what are the words or the phrases that stuck out to you from that reading. We're going to read through the passage a second time here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For neither he, so for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Take just another moment and kind of imagine that verse, imagine that past that's happening. What is it that you're, what is it that's catching your attention as you're actually imagining this passage being taught to you by Jesus?
As we prepare to read it the third time, we're going to listen one more time and we're going to be hearing and thinking about what, how is God calling us to respond. Is he calling you to do something in response to this? Is he calling you to lay down something in response to this? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Take another minute or so and just write down what are are the thoughts that are coming to you. What is it that God is saying to you and how is he calling you to respond? I want to kind of close this time together. I want to give you just give you five more minutes here, if you would, just as you're comfortable, as you're ready. If if you if what you're how you're wanting to respond isn't something you uh, are ready to share with the person next to you, I understand. But I think there is there's an importance to hearing from God and being able to just share that, even if it's not fully concrete yet. You know, even if it's still being fleshed out. So let's take five minutes. Turn to that same group that you're with. Try to you know. Give a short summary of what you were hearing there and let the other person respond as well.
go about another minute or so. If somebody else in your group hasn't shared yet, let's give other folks an opportunity to share before we bring it back. All right, thank you all. For, thank you all for doing that. Thank you all for going with us uh, through that. Uh, again, the the purpose for today was to just again remind us that these simple opportunities exist for us to fellowship with God, um, and that uh, our hope is that through and uh, calling people to life of mission, that we're not somehow going beyond. The Lord. We're not going past where He has called us. The great promise that you go, you know, he, he, he is in all these places. He's made the whole world. So there's no geographic place that we could go without Him. There's no uh, particular place that we go Him. But I, I think we probably all know experientially what I was meaning by that. That there are times that we feel like we might have gone on without Him. And so our desire through the way we're trying to train people and what we're hoping to put in people as they prepare for. Uh, life in difficult places, doing great work for uh, for others in the name of Jesus, that it, that they would be uh, tasting and seeing the goodness of God as they go. Um, so what we want to do here uh, with our last section to that is just to give you an opportunity for questions. Um, and uh, so Chad and Kelsey, you're certainly welcome to come back up. Rick, uh, come up as well. And then we just want to open the floor for any questions about uh, what we're trying to do from program, what you've been thinking as, uh, as you've been hearing, and um, yeah, that's what we'll do. What questions do you all have? Yes, ma'am. So I, I kind of like to know, you've got a couple decades into Memphis, like what are some of the big barriers that you're facing, and then what are some of the... Some of the what? Last part. Some of the fruit? Okay. You want to take that? Recognizing that any missionary is formed from their families and from other places and so forth, like, um, nonetheless, out of the milieu that I described earlier, there are families now in Mauritania, multiple families in Algeria, family in Egypt, multiple uh, a family in Niger, multiple families in uh, the Somali section of Ethiopia, uh, family in the Arabian Peninsula. Pakistan, multiple families in Afghanistan. So um, that's not the entire list. Right. And there are people. Sorry. Praise the Lord. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were adding something. <laughs> um, and there are people in Clarkston, Georgia. 
Texas came from Memphis, and Birmingham, Alabama, that came from Memphis. So it has been, there has been fruit. Um, the challenges are all the things that we talked about before, the, um, our own frailty, our lack of connection to God, our, um, our immaturity. Uh, most of us have signature sins. Doctors, uh, right the day you graduate, if not before, you get um, 10 pounds of foolish pride poured down your throat. Um, at least dentist is 8 pounds. So... There are um, super hard things that really break my heart. You've heard some of it. Like the, our racial hatred and enmity in my city is so powerful that it just divides us. And um, so much brokenness, so much addiction. If you get close to poverty, it's horrible. And, um, and we want to see the power of the gospel break into that. We want to see the redemptive power of Jesus in those places. And we do sometimes, but it's it's hard not to labor in those places without pain. And then I think anyone who ventures out in these sorts of ways of faithfulness is guaranteeing they will have suffering. And um, and even speaking for myself, some shame in the losses. Uh, like I, I'm the main person responsible for the registry program closing uh, prematurely. And so just. When I think of that, and I, I know that it was the right thing to do that. I know that God was in it and it bore fruit, but I still feel pain from it. And I think anyone who's going to try to break cross-cultural barriers and run into the face of the kingdom of darkness, move to Kurdistan, you're going to get, in Memphis we would call it, something slapped. Five powers of darkness. And the same thing happened to Jesus. And that the odd thing is that when you suffer as you're trying faithfully and with broken obedience and disobedience to, to advance the kingdom, you actually begin to share in the very sufferings of Jesus. And that's a, a way to become intimate with him. But suffering, the brokenness of the world, um, racial and addiction issues are all big barriers. I don't know how y'all would answer those questions. You want to add to that? Other questions? Such a happy question. Yeah. Uh, so in your spiritual practices and disciplines that you, you go through, do you guys talk at all, or how do you understand like a missionary calling? Is that part of it at all? Or uh, Because, I mean, I feel like when you were 
asking the question earlier, like what are some of the barriers, um, not necessarily in the medical field, but like I feel like having that calling is a huge anchor um, in those struggles and those hard times or whatever. So how do you think about that or discuss that? Yeah. Somebody want Yeah, so the question to, to is, uh, wh- where does the missionary calling, uh, the sense of discerning that calling and, and responding to that, how does that fit into the spiritual practices? Do you want to take that? Chad yeah, Chad has thoughts. We'll get the hook if it's wrong. I think something for us is... Um, Sometimes to talk about like a specific calling was actually a barrier for um, faithful obedience along the way. So there are times that we question our decision, well, do we really have a calling? Um, but our desire is that in our spiritual formation and practices, that it's in the daily hearing from God and responding to small things um, is what we want to see us walk into the community and not waiting for a calling from this guy that we can hold on to. Yeah, I would, I would just, I think mean, that's great. I mean, I think, and I hope that was a little bit of the experience of what happened today. I hope there was a little bit of an experience of a calling that you felt that God was prompting you to and calling you into. And then, then it makes a whole lot more sense of a whole lot of passages and teachings that Jesus gave in terms of, let's, let's be faithful with the small things that God's calling you to. Let's, let's, let's be sure that we're doing these things that God will prepare you for, for the others as well. So I think, I think it's a great question. Anything to add to that? Other questions? Yes, sir. Uh, as far as the verse we just meditated on, what do you equate with laying up treasures in heaven most with, like in, in your lives, uh, in your work? Like, more is it more giving or serving or time or money or being family or mentorship or like all of the above? Yeah, uh, maybe we'll answer, each take a turn in answering those. Rick, you want to, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think. Um, Part of the way you answer that question is how God gives you. So I've known people who are particularly evangelistic, and they, they see this as like the more human beings I get into the kingdom of God through my evangelistic efforts, uh, that's that's fruit. <laughs> so I saw somebody's patent. That's you, honey. I tend to, my personal interest is like trying to convince God's people to do God's will. Uh, and so I really feel like fruitfulness for me is seeing people walking in obedience. Like, when I think about the treasure I have in heaven, and I do think of it, I, I pray almost every day that John 15 passes that I could be rooted in Jesus and I could be fruitful. And to me, my fruitfulness is the fruitfulness of the disciples that I've been part of and the work that they are going to do later. And so that's the treasure I'm looking for. I, I have this picture in mind when, like, this final reckoning happens and Robbie Contino stands up and talks about what happened in uh, Clarkson, Georgia, for refugees. I'll go, uh, Jesus, I, I have a piece <laughs> So, other people, it's giving, it's leadership. I think it is all of the above, like you said. And it's um, our treasure is is 
purpose that God made us in his kingdom, and we all have different capacities where we operate in that. How would you answer that? I would say, yeah, I think it is personal to an extent, and also, um, like for us or for me, just pouring into community and like trying to build that, um, yeah, communal practices together and really um, yeah, growing and just being the body and being the church and encouraging one another. I think uh, really investing time and um, yeah, energy into others in our community. Respond. Not another unpopular answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think um, when I, as we were meditating on that, I, I've been meditating on Genesis for several months now. So was, I couldn't hear that without having images of, of Genesis and thinking about um, the eye being the lamp um, and the, the theme throughout Genesis of people seeing that something is good and taking. So we're, we're, we'll, we'll be around here a little bit more. I uh, want to make good on our earlier promise to get you out before time there. So um, so we'll, we'll, we'll be around for questions. Uh, uh, certainly what I would also just open up is that even if there's more of the processing of that question and ones that you just want to process and think through what you may have heard or what you're wrestling through, we're certainly open for that uh, as well. So, yeah, Rick. Practically speaking, if you or someone you know might be interested in spending 20 months, what does that say? 10 minutes left. 10 minutes left, okay. Thank you. Um, in Detroit or Memphis, uh, beginning in August or so of, the, of 2022, and um, if you're even interested in exploring that, I recommend it to someone, fellowshipplus.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fellowshipplus.org. And if we have, somewhere we have... Some of the, the, this little fun back there. Yeah, right, right. Yes. Okay, thank you all. We'll be here for other questions if they are. We'll see you all later. Thank you all for joining us.